Hi, everyone. Welcome to this season's bonus episode of Divided Films, the podcast where we talk about movies that audiences and critics do not agree on. My name is JJ, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Keith. Hello! Well, here we are, Keith, at the uh, end of another season. It's been a wacky year. Uh, It's been a crazy year, but a great season. I, I should say. Yeah, I'm really proud of how all our episodes came out. And, you know, I think this way we've been recording, you know, as we adjusted to the pandemic, we've been doing remote recordings. I think that's the way we'll continue. I think our, uh, you know, the quality of the recordings and everything just came out better that way. So mm-hmm. I know, agree. This is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like happy with how we've been doing it and we'll probably continue that way in the future. So for this season's bonus episode, we decided to take a look at movies where the audiences and critics agree on a film, but the box office results differ from what you'd expect. So basically movies where audiences and critics both disliked a film that regardless still had a successful box office results. And then conversely, the other side of the coin, movies that audiences and critics both liked, but nevertheless still had a disappointing box office result so we're going to look into uh we each picked one movie for each of those um categories for a total of four movies and we'll look into like why we think the box office results were so surprising and then also our opinions on those films i don't know about you but i think there's a lesson to be learned in each of these movies as so uncovering the mystery yeah exactly you know like some more research had to go into this episode and it was interesting to dig up some things on these movies also uh you know as each movie will have its own lesson but i think there'll also be some recurring themes oh yes for each of these you know like throughout our our discussions on these particularly with you know marketing so we're starting off with movies that audiences and critics both disliked but still had a successful box office so the first pick for this category is the 2010 fantasy film Alice in Wonderland. This movie uh, has a 51% approval rating from critics and a 55% approval rating from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus, Tim Burton's Alice sacrifices the book's minimal narrative coherence and much of its heart, but it's an undeniable visual treat. So, you know, people were mixed to negative on this movie when it came out. But despite of that, this movie still raked in over a billion dollars at yeah. the box office on a roughly like $200 million budget. So it was a huge success. It is like, I think, the sixth film of all time to break a billion dollars. And that to me is a big surprise. This was your pick, Keith, for this category. And that a. Alice in Wonderland update would be the sixth film ever to break a billion dollars. I, I was trying to wrap my head around why this was, this was such a massive success at the time, considering that this film kind of came and went for the most part. Um, and, you know, it warranted a sequel. Obviously, any movie that makes a billion dollars will probably get a sequel, uh, which, by the way, was much less successful. That made, like, I think a third of the amount of money that uh, this one made. So that might even tell you that uh you know people 
you know, they, they saw it. A lot of people did come out to see this and were not really uh, that thrilled about it. But, you know, word of mouth must not slowed it down because I did read that it dominated the box office for three straight weeks. So, you know, there we have it, a movie that people were kind of mixed and negative about, but it still broke some box office records. I think also at the time it was the highest grossing film to be released, like outside of like the summer blockbuster time period of the year, uh, which I think is revealing too. I think one of the reasons why this movie was so successful is because it did not have a lot of competition at the time. Um, so that might've helped it. Cause usually the spring months, like from late February to like mid April, that usually, you know, until recently, that time of year was considered kind of like a, a like a dead zone in in the film release year. You didn't really get huge movies at that time. What so? What was your reaction, Keith, when you saw uh, the the box office results for this? Uh, I was definitely one of those people who went out to see it. I was generally excited. I think the lesson that I'm taking away from this film is, uh, even though everything should be perfect it doesn't always play out that way. Like this, we've talked about Tim Burton before in our Charlie and the Chocolate Factory episode. And I said that there's three phases of Tim Burton. And this is the start of what I call what happened to Tim Burton. Like this, he has not had the best decade in terms of 2010. And this is definitely the start of it. We didn't know what we were in for. I, I was generally excited. I think, all the ingredients of it is like Tim Burton directing Alice in Wonderland. Oh my God. Perfect. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. The they're, a great, they're a great team. Alan Rickman. And like the cast alone, like Helen, Helena Bonham Carter as the queen. It just, I, I was generally excited for it. And then I even had to like trick myself into watching it this time. Like maybe I set my expectations too high, which I probably did. Um, and even going into it, I was, I was still disappointed, but for different reasons. Like I understood why I felt, and probably many people. I think a lot of people just were excited to see this movie, and judging by the sequel, they didn't want to go back to it. They didn't want to go back to Wonderland. <laughs> exactly. You know, I I was also confused too because, you know, Alice in Wonderland is a property that we're all familiar with. We've all heard of it. I never read the books, but you know, a lot of us have seen the animated Disney film from the fifties, but not even that was necessarily like one of the most beloved Disney films of all time. We're all aware of it and maybe seen it a few times, but it's not like a favorite by any means for most people I know. So I, I was even like confused about what, how such like, you know, a, a known property, but not again, like the most beloved property could, could generate, um, you know, such, such a, box office result um but like you said i think everything around it probably is what drew people in like the director the cast you know on paper it all should work and make sense you know if you're going to get someone to direct an allison in wonderland film i guess tim burton would have to be the guy yeah and he was passionate like i from this movie there is a sense of passion and he even says he wanted to do a movie uh, allison wonderland movie he wanted to give it a narrative which I guess I'm still wondering. I'm like, did it help or hurt? And I, there's so many, like this movie suffers so much from CGI. This whole movie is CGI yeah. 
And I'm wondering uh -huh. now if, I agree. uh, like, I feel like this movie would have worked in the 90s, back when Tim Burton was working with actually practical effects, like back when he was doing Edward Scissorhands and Pee-wee's Playhouse and Batman. I feel like this movie would have had a better, like, it makes me really appreciate movies like Never Ending Story and Labyrinth as, like, because yeah. I'm seeing the green screen. I'm literally seeing the green screen, the Uncanny Valley play out before my eyes. I agree. I mean, even some of the superimposed faces, like the um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I feel like was a little off-putting. You know, the yeah, the whole movie's off-putting. And you know what? Like, even Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which we discussed, had physical set pieces. Yeah. I feel like there was hardly anything physical at all in this movie. And I think also... Uh, because it's um, you immediately throws you in there. The second she goes down that rabbit hole, you're just bombarded by CGI and basically a story. Like it seems a lot has happened between the original Alice in Wonderland story and where this movie is taking place. Almost so that it seemed like it was like I was missing something for so long in this movie. I'm like, it, like I feel like I was lost, and I guess that's the perspective of Alice. But I'm like, this seems like it's based on like a. a Alice in Wonderland book that was never released or something. I, I was really confused and it's just not involving. I couldn't get invested in the story because of how much CGI there was and just how almost, um, I want to say a bit convoluted the story was. I mean, Alice in Wonderland, the original animated movie is just kind of a plotless movie of a girl exploring this world and you know she just kind of goes from here to there to there and to kind of put in this what seems like they're taking I don't know, a Chronicles of Narnia story or something and throwing it into the world of Alice in Wonderland just seems kind of forced. I, like there's this now like epic you know storyline now going on and you're adding all this more like lore to this world where there really shouldn't be. It should just be a place of nonsense and non logic. Uh, I feel like he could have had his cake and eat it too. Like he does say when re reading about this movie, he does say like you know the Alice in Wonderland original story is just her meeting these various characters and it is more right. like a, it's like jungle like vignettes and her journey through wonderland and he's like i wanted to add it a he wanted to add a narrative and i don't like yeah it's the epicness it's just like oh alice is the chosen one uh i'm okay with cliches i'm okay with a lot of fantasy cliches yeah i'm okay with doing the idea of a of a sequel like you know an older alice like she's been there before yeah continuation um, uh it, it felt creepy i don't know i was so off-putted by i remember seeing like charm i remember seeing the the picture of mad hatter and i felt like that homer simpson with the pig i'm like it's so good like it's just a little creepy it's so good it's so good yeah and he of course just it's a character you can't really latch on to this whole no in yeah. fact in fact the mad hatter is not even that prominent of a character in the animated version it seems like they only made him prominent because johnny depp was going to play that part so they had to make him like this much more important character which like I don't know. All the actors in this movie just do what's expected of them. Like what you could imagine Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter you you get and nothing else. Helena Bottom Carter as the Red Queen. What I would expect. Nothing's really surprising going on there. And this movie has uh, so glimpses of like old Tim Burton because the people behind her are real. They're prosthetics. They're wearing prosthetics. And they look right. like Tim, they're, they look like right out of like Tim Burton's art book, like storybook and all mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, where is that for the like? Because the card people, the card soldiers, are so cold 
And yeah. for such a colorful, for what should be a colorful movie, this movie's so, it's like a a flower that's been dried out in the sun. Especially in those the last battle scene, it was like all of a sudden the color, color palette gets totally drained. Yeah. And you just get a bunch of like off-putting grays towards the end. So, um, yeah, I, I think people, yeah, this was like released as a major film uh, in a time where you weren't really getting that many other interesting things maybe to go see in the theater. It started a trend. Um, it, 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 yeah. it, Disney rolled out the red carpet for Tim Burton, kind of gave him to do whatever he wanted. And because it made a billion dollars, it's kind of like a monkey's paw curse that we have all these other Disney remakes. Exactly. This started the trend. I mean, if you really want to get technical, the first Disney live action remake was the 96 101 Dalmatians. But that doesn't really count. Tech- if you want to talk about like the, the modern trend, it, w- it you could say it starts with this and it's such a huge hit. And we've gotten all these other remakes since that, yes, they make a lot of money. And we could do maybe a whole bonus episode on Disney live action remakes. A lot of them are divided. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, not necessarily a trend that I'm a fan of. Um, so, you know, we, people saw this and, you know, it wasn't a total waste of time. I mean, there are some vi- good visuals, I suppose. But again, what you basically expect. And I don't think the effects really hold up as well anymore 10 years later. I was hoping that this movie was going to be, once again, if this movie came out like, 94 95 like fresh out of like batman returns right before mars attacks practical effects with the like glimpses of cgi what however we were going to do the jabberwocky this movie i was hoping it was going to be the definitive alice in wonderland movie second to the cartoon or first to the cartoon uh and maybe maybe that's on me for my expectations but i think if you still watch this movie you still go you still wind up being disappointed I agree. I think everything kind of falls flat ultimately, not just the story, but the humor. I don't think I really laughed once in this movie at all. There were many attempts. I didn't really I didn't really understand what was like the goal here for most of the movie. So, um, you know, I guess we can put that to rest. Alice in Wonderland, the benefit of uh, you know, a like director and uh acting team that we've all come to appreciate in other films prior. And uh, just like coming out in a part of the calendar where, you know, usually we're just we're craving a good movie, but we hadn't really gotten them in that time of the year prior. Uh, so I think that could be our diagnosis or I don't know. Mystery uh, solved. <laughs> mystery, case closed. That's how I should put it. <laughs> diagnosis. We're, we're doctor detectives, I guess. Um, so case closed on Alice in Wonderland. So moving on to our next case, I guess. Uh and keeping in with these movies that, again, have a negative consensus, but were successful at the box office. We're going to move on to the 2016 comic book movie. So that's it. What, we some kind of suicide squad? I hate you. So, uh, I hate you for taking this I, movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I feel like this is a good example it of this. Is, but but I, uh, yeah, go. I, was, I was not looking forward to rewatching this for sure. So Suicide Squad, this movie has a 27% approval from critics and a 59% approval from audiences. I was almost considering this to be maybe like uh, a divide. It was almost a divide uh, to talk about for like its own episode, but I really don't like this movie, so I didn't want to give it that much more time. (laughs) 
so there you have like a ne- very negative from the critics, mixed to negative from the audiences. But regardless of that, this movie made $750 million at the box office against a $175 million budget. Um, and, you know, I think one of the reasons why this movie was so successful is because of the marketing, the promotion. This movie uh, had probably one of the best trailers that we had seen in a very long time. The Bohemian Rhapsody Suicide Squad trailer got people really excited. That was being shared a lot at the time. I rewatched that trailer lots of times. I bought into it. But when the movie came out and we had gone to see it, it became clear to me that they almost were putting in more effort into the trailer than the movie itself. It seems a lot of the scenes in the movie were made just for the trailer. And what you got ultimately is a very incoherent uh, mess. Oh, incoherent. This movie was edited by a schizophrenic. It's like a total mess from start to finish. And maybe that's the idea. I mean, the poster is like this big colorful mess. And the whole idea is to be like this crazy sloppy movie. But all of that seems so uh, unintentional. You know, sometimes when you see a bad movie, like we talked about Batman vs. Superman in our very first episode, uh, you know, we mentioned that maybe there were some good bones in there and, and you could have, like, rewritten it and retooled it. This, I would have taken that script and thrown it in the furnace. I would have totally, like, started this from from scratch. I, I don't know. The, the whole the, – I don't know if there's anything salvageable from this movie. Everything from start to finish makes no sense and is totally unenjoyable. Uh, I don't want – look, this movie is – begging me to hate it this movie is just like i'm doing this like don't, don't you hate it i'm like yeah i really do hate it uh i'm trying the the metaphor that comes to mind with this movie is this movie is like uh two parents who are on the brink of divorce and they think a child could save their relationship so they're rushing to have the child without reading any of the baby books or even preparing a nursery this movie when doing the research this movie didn't really have a chance to begin with with the script they only gave david a error air david air the uh, director six weeks Mm -hmm. to write the script that's not that's a rough draft not even a first draft uh and it shows and it shows uh they underwent i mean of course you hear about the weirdness of jared leto and i didn't like jared leto's performance and i and a lot of his performance was cut i wanted Give me more to hate. I wanted to see more of it so I can have a clearer picture. Uh, well, that was another another big problem too. Jared Leto was prominently featured in the trailers. Yeah, only for him to only make what like less than twenty minutes of screen time. Yeah. So another thing where they focused a lot on promoting this movie without really thinking about what it's really gonna deliver. Uh, but also uh, a movie like this, a movie of this size, usually every big box office movie undergoes reshoots that just mm-hmm. um but when a movie has like 20 million dollars as opposed to six to ten million dollars going to re- uh, reshoots there's a big problem and this mm-hmm. movie shows it's convoluted I can imagine uh, i can imagine what like the 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 test screenings were like and what you know anyone who saw like the the first original cuts whatever they were i mean if this is if this is like an improvement on whatever the original 
you know well, cut was i can't imagine what that was like yeah it's trying it was, it's trying to be guardians of the galaxy with the soundtrack and the characters it's trying to be deadpool with the with the r rated trying with, too hard trying too hard and it, they also got scared by the results of batman v superman so they had to switch it up again and this this movie didn't have a chance like this movie was no, born I mean, to be hated everything about it seems like forced so I get it through the first couple of movies in this DC extended universe. They're getting flack for taking themselves way too seriously, uh, which is valid. But then they come out with this on the total opposite end. It doesn't take anything seriously enough. It doesn't take its story seriously enough. It doesn't take its lore seriously enough. Um, And uh, everything is just kind of like glossed over. I mean, even the whole idea of having this, like, what, this is maybe the fourth movie in this franchise is, like, villains being good already. And I personally, I don't think people are that familiar with many of these villains. Harley Quinn and the Joker probably the mo- more so. But the whole movie, they're going, like, we're bad guys. We're bad guys. And now we're being good. I'm like, I've never seen any of these bad guys or at least these versions of these bad guys before, so it means nothing to me yeah. that now they're being good. Well, uh, I do like the the idea of the Suicide Squad, and I've seen the I, I I never really read comics, but they popped up in like the cartoon, and I do like the idea of the Suicide Squad. Uh, but they're I wanted like a movie like they don't they're not tackling like when David Harbor says like you know we what if Superman were to come down and be a bad guy. Who are we going to send after him? You're not going to send after a guy who throws a boomerang. These Harley Quinn. I, yeah, what is she going to do? You're, the Suicide Squad is meant for like we have like toppling governments, like these se- like these secret assassinations, and they're sent into like a mission to destroy this. Like, where is Flash or any Wonder Woman to fight the Enchantress? Uh, oh, I know. You're having this apocalyptic event again. Yeah. And yet, like, none of these established heroes. Oh, are I couldn't in stand her. Day. I, I, and oh, I, but... I hope, I, I, maybe Cara, Cara Delevingne's a good actress, not in this movie. Oh, I know. I, I want her to be a good actress, but they gave her, like, it was almost like this movie was working against her. Like, yeah. they gave her every reason for us not to be a fan of her. Um, it was just, it was so ridiculous. And I mean, you have basically a waste of a good cast. I mean, uh viola davis and you know margot robbie is great as harley quinn that's probably the best thing to come out of this even will um, smith like i thought will smith was going to be the worst i thought he was going to will smith it up and which he does he does but that ends up being what this movie needed is it though because no, but he, it, he even says in the awfulness says, of this like, movie that stands out and it actually like all right i um this is our dead shot this is our movie dead shot i can dig it at least you know this. up to this up to this point i was like a defender of the dc extended universe just because i like the dc characters and so you know i wanted uh batman and superman to be good and i was trying i was like come on we could have a good dc universe here and then this movie comes out and i was so furious i think this is like the first time that i regretted purchasing like a movie theater ticket to see a movie <laughs> I, I i was furious watching this uh and this is where I fell off, basically, the DC universe. I mean, I came back for Wonder Woman, and I really enjoyed that. But because I hate this movie so much, I like to imagine that the Wonder Woman movie is its own thing and divorced from the mess of the rest of her cinematic universe. Well, uh, the lesson I want to—the lesson I got out of this movie, aside from the production problems, is 
I think when you have a franchise, especially a world building franchise, you kind of take the, this movie, I don't want to say walked, this movie kind of had its legs broken and crawled. You know that James Gunn has a movie coming out next year, The Suicide Squad. I hope it's good. I I trust James Gunn. I like James Gunn. Uh, And it kind of, I think when bad stuff happens, whether it's The Suicide Squad or James Gunn being fired by by Marvel for a brief time, it kind of, you know, when a door closes in your face, you can always sneak in through the window. From what Mm -hmm. I've seen of this Suicide Squad, it seems to be embracing the silliness of the characters of the DC universe. And it sounds like they're going to overthrow a government in Brazil or Bolivia or something. It seems like it's in this seems like James Gunn has a better handle of what the suicide squad is about better than what David Ayer Ayer had. And I like David Ayer. Like, I think he's done some pretty good stuff before this. Well, you know, it comes down to just basic things to adapt a comic book, which is understanding your source material. Number one, which this movie definitely did not seem to do. And also just having, like, a coherent story. Um, So, you know, if those – we just want some basic things here, which James Gunn knows how to do, obviously. You know, he has a proven track record. But even so, I think the whole idea of having the Suicide Squad uh, movie so early in this franchise doesn't really – It's weird. doesn't really pay off. Um, You know, I – a long time ago, when I was so fed up with this – uh, universe that DC was trying to put together. I, in my own time, kind of put together what my ideal DC universe would be. And, like, in a phase three or four, you have a Suicide Squad movie where you have all these established villains that you've seen be the main antagonist in previous films now be good, and that would have impact. And, you know, DC plays a lot with multiverses, so maybe have them fight against the Justice Lords, who yeah. are, like, the evil totalitarian versions of the Justice League, and that could be interesting. Also, I found it I weird know. that the, the Diablo character calls them like, you know, I'm going to do it for my family. I'm like, you guys just met a couple hours ago. This, this needed a rewrite. Nothing is earned in this movie. Nothing, Nothing is earned. I do, I do think this movie tries to be so. This, I think, the reason for the success of this movie is that it tries to be so mainstream. Even with the soundtrack, like I'm both like yeah. it's so uh, schizophrenic with the songs. Like it's it's like a, a you know well, song choice about to song it, choice, but they really went all out for the it, soundtrack. Everything about it seems like this movie was uh, created in like a um, a market research meeting. Like these are all you know. Well, you know, we need to get back on track here. You know, with this DC universe, we we need to like you know fix some things about it, and. You know, he basically like the whole story and idea and conception of this movie was created by just studio executives who are pulling in, you know, what's successful about other movies and they Frankenstein yeah. a script and they Frankenstein a movie and this is what you get. And it, it, it was just I, I like to sometimes even forget this movie exists. And just like it. Frankenstein's monster, it needed to be burned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like I, I and, but a lot of people who don't really, I guess, I guess a lot of people came out. Non-comic book fans came out. The Hot Topic people came out. Uh, I mean, how many? Uh, even before the the recent Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey, this uh, Harley Quinn, her version, that costume was such a prominent feature for Halloween and Comic Cons yeah. across the world. Like, it's- well, she's the only redeeming quality of this movie is Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. 
And, you know, I'm glad that Harley Quinn is now, like, more recognized because she was always such a beloved character from the animated series in the 90s. And now she's going to get, like, more of her own, like, you know, Birds of Prey. And I think she's also going to get another movie that's just her own. She's in the Suicide so, Squad, too, with James Gunn. So, uh, like, she's a, she's going to be great. around. She, uh, she's a staple. I kind of found her – I liked her, and I find her, found her annoying at the same time in this movie right i was like some of the the material they gave her was annoying but it it was it was hit and miss but like the only reason why it ever worked in the first place is because what she brought to the table not necessarily what was written for her uh so at the end of the day yeah this movie was a complete mess but it made it made a lot of money from just how much effort went into the marketing how much went into you know, what they thought was what people wanted at the time. And that got people in the seats. But, you know, similar to Batman v Superman, it did see a, a big drop off from first to second weekend. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so word of mouth did hurt it a bit. I think ultimately, though, it was more profitable than Batman v Superman because it worked against a smaller budget. Okay. Um, so... Case closed on Suicide Squad. Forever. Uh, I never want to watch this we, movie again. Not even when we fu- I get ready for James Gunn's movie. I don't want to watch this movie. No, I mean, hopefully this one, the, if the James Gunn movie hopefully will be really good and it can just completely erase the previous installment. So there you have it. There are our two profitable movies that were not very good. Something that frustrates a lot of critics and moviegoers when, you know, something that is not that good makes a lot of money it seems unearned uh and unfortunately it's other similar movies but now we're going to move on to movies that um audience and critics did like did get high reviews but unfortunately were not successful at the box office probably even more frustrating yeah. for critics and experienced moviegoers uh, so we'll try to give these movies their their due so the first movie we're going to cover in this category is the 2017 sci-fi movie Blake Winter 2049. This movie has an 88% approval rating from critics and an 81% approval rating from audiences. The consensus being visually stunning and narratively satisfying. Blade Runner 2049 deepens and expands its predecessor story while standing as an impressive filmmaking achievement in its own right. So, um, yeah, I, and I totally agree with that consensus. This movie um, has a lot going for it, but unfortunately, it only grossed $260 million at the box office against a $185 million budget but that does not include marketing so ultimately i read somewhere that this movie needs to make at least 400 million dollars to break even which it fell short of so ultimately it was a box office loss for the studio which is a shame and again i think this also comes down to um marketing how to get a more broad appeal i mean i get it it's a sequel to what is a classic blade runner and maybe not everyone has seen blade runner nowadays but um you know, I think this is a case of maybe the studio not having enough confidence in its product and not, you know, fighting hard enough to, to show the broad appeal of this movie. Because I don't think you necessarily need to have seen the first installment to enjoy this one. It definitely helps, and I would recommend that. But anyone can go into this movie 
and appreciate what it's doing and just see it in a very unique and extremely well-made and well-written film. Uh, so I think it's an absolute shame that this movie was um, not successful financially. Uh while I hate you for watch making me watch Suicide Squad, I do love you for making me watch this movie. It's your Christmas gift to me. Uh, I do. I love this movie. It's probably one of my favorite movies, definitely of the 2010s. Uh, it's, this movie shows why we we don't live in a bad timeline. The fact that this this is a let me just say my spiel about this. My love letter to this movie. This movie is a privilege to see to be made. Like it's, it should not have been made the way it is. It's a, like, not only is it's exceptional directing, writing, cinematography, acting, it kind of all comes together. I do. I like this. I like the original, but I love this movie just because it, it's like what, almost three hours and it's so, it's incredibly engaging. That being like, that being said, I, it is a tough sell for me. It is a tough I agree. sell. I think. I think the the runtime. I don't mind the long runtime. It doesn't feel uh, it. And I think we saw it together. I think it warrants. I think it warrants a, run, a long runtime, and unfortunately, that is something that's off putting for a lot of general casual moviegoers. If they had saw ahead of time that it's like two and a half hours or a little bit over that, that that does deter some people from going to see it, which I think is a shame. I mean, we used to get lots of movies that were that long back in the day, and actually now we do with a lot of superhero movies going over two hours. But unfortunately, like, a long runtime, and I don't want to say this is a niche genre. It's sci-fi, but I guess a sequel sci-fi that, um, you know, maybe just doesn't on the surface look like it has the broad appeal could, um, you know, not not bring in those big dollars. Well, it's not – I mean, the climax is so – small it's not like you know big action war i mean there's a definite difference between like this movie and edge of tomorrow this movie is like hard like it's closer to a hard sci-fi like with a rival or like it's you know cerebral and to, ex to it an concentrates extent. it concentrates a lot more on um you know these different um big topics you know it's more contemplative it's it's more philosophical you know it, it it's tackling a lot of big ambitious issues and you know it does have some action to it but you're right it's it's not um you know it's it's not like a, a fast-paced hardcore movie like edge of tomorrow which i also like i, I enjoy no, but they're, they're, but they're completely different I movies would, i agree i would say they're you know even though they're both considered sci-fi i suppose they're definitely on two extreme ends of that genre i would say in two very completely different sub genres um this movie's a thinker i mean it's it's a slow burn and you know the other thing i want to throw on you through in all those aspects true like you know the directing the acting writing production design yes i also want to call to this movie and cinematography i mean this movie there's no movie that looks like this that i can think of it's totally different than any other film that we've gotten in like the last um, decade. Uh, this is this is definitely one of my favorite films of the 2010s. Uh, yeah. It's it's very ambitious and you know it's it's got just amazing special effects and it uses effects in a very intelligent way. It's not like you're just getting these things like in Alice in Wonderland as a negative example. You're just getting like CGI everywhere overload. This one uses it very uh, economically and in only in ways that really enhance the story and actually are uh, impressive. Uh, but I, 
take all of our friends, take all the guests that we've had over these past 30 something episodes. And it's not like, you know, even with the love letter that we're writing for the, that we're saying for this movie, how many people would still be into it? And it, I think it, it is like a specific niche movie. And the fact that it got made with this budget and this way, it's, I feel privileged to be alive. That's like, yeah. that's how I, I, I was very grateful to have a movie like this. And I was worried, you know, it didn't do as well that we might not get as many anymore, but Dune, you know, I think we're, we're getting, yeah, Dune, we're, but I do, I do worry I, about, I mean, granted, I Warner brothers as of this time is, putting all their movies out on HBO max. They're doing something very unique, right. but I did wonder about the box office for Dune. Well, you know, here's the thing in this day and age now in, in 2020 and deep into the pandemic, you know, the box office, we're bringing this up now, but the box office is not going to be the same for a long time. Right? Like, you know, hopefully by this time next year, we'll feel comfortable going back into the movies and seeing movies on a regular basis. But, uh, you know, how we measure movies successfully financially uh, has been the box office for so long. And now that's the pandemic has thrown that all out of whack. So for Dune, you know, who's to say if it'll be financially successful or not, because it can't even be released in the way that a movie normally is. And, you know, every day that the studio sits on it, it loses money. Yeah. So who even knows? Even the idea to sell Dune, like I know a lot of people have told me it's the best sci-fi novel and it's just like Game of Thrones, but even Game of Thrones was a hard sell for people until the second season. But I, exactly. Denis Villeneuve is an exceptional director and I, I love this movie. And I thank you, Merry Christmas, for having me watch it, uh, especially for the last episode. And I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I, this is, I down this tea. Uh, you know, in this day and age, too, with um, so many streaming services coming out, I was surprised this wasn't on HBO Max, first off, because this was Warner Brothers. Hopefully they get it on there. But second of all, um, you know, if, if maybe, uh, I feel like streaming services is where you're going to, see more niche content so hopefully you know if if box office is not a measure of success for a movie like this hopefully it'll have a cult following and you'll see getting a lot of views on on the streaming service like hbo max and then it'll encourage the studio yeah maybe yeah i mean a movie like this should be in the theater you know you should see this in a movie theater but you know if it doesn't make its money there then hopefully it'll draw a lot of people and keep streamers to their services so there's another way for movies like this to be successful uh, today. I, I agree with you that, like, you know, I think Netflix has shown given like directors to make their more niche, uh, their vision movies that might not make the money as it would in theaters. Uh, but I think it's special that someone at Warner Brothers gave this the budget, the kind of budget. I don't know. I we're very lucky in this case, there's with this movie. There's some. There's something to be said about just like the art of film and, you know, of this. It's why I love movies. Film. This movie like yeah, speaks it... to my love of cinema. If you want to get to my heart, uh, say something about Blade Runner 2041. 2049. 2049. 2049. <laughs> you don't even know the name of it. I'll, no, I'll edit uh, that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. So, yeah, at the end of the day, this might be just not um, the broad appeal to break in like a giant uh, – box office success but um you know what who cares we love it yeah and we'll continue to support it and hopefully it gets a cult following down the line 
and you know will will find success elsewhere like a lot of other films in the past that were you know this is by far not the first film to be such a huge critical success but not necessarily a financial success. it's only four years other old mov- like right uh, other movies you know like a movie for example like shawshank again critics loved it didn't make money initially but down the lines become a classic so hopefully time which i always say is the biggest test will be favorable towards blade runner 2049 which leads into our so- next movie Let's see what happens in 2049. <laughs> People yeah. are like, hey, wait a minute. That didn't happen. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so case closed on Blade Runner 2049, although we'll always keep going back to it. Um, so we're going to round this out with what is perhaps like a movie near and dear to our hearts, a movie um, that I think will always stand the test of time. and actually speaks to what I was just going on about with cult classics. It is the 1999 animated film. Uh, this movie has a 96 approval rating from critics, 90% approval rating from audiences, the critics' consensus, the endearing Iron Giant tackles ambitious topics and complex human relationships with a steady hand and beautifully animated direction from Brad Bird. Um, so this movie has a lot going for it, but unfortunately, very sadly, it did not make much money at the box office. Against a $50 million budget, it only raked in $31 million. So it was a box office loss for the studio. Came in eighth, I read. Eighth. Uh, well, you know what? I, you know, I, I did probably the most research for this film out of all four that we're doing today. So I'm very passionate about The Iron Giant. And this is a movie that the studio had no confidence in because of previous uh, failures in animation at the time. So... This movie was only marketed at like the very last second. So, you know, uh, up until the test screenings that were hugely successful, much to the studio's amazement, the studio thought this was going to be a big failure. So they didn't really put in the effort to do all the sort of marketing that you normally would for an animated film. And it wasn't until they realized that they actually had a really great movie on their hands that they tried to rush a campaign, but it was too late. And... You know, a lot of people were not aware of this film when it first came out. I know I wasn't. I only became aware of this film through uh, TV, through, like, Cartoon Network airing it. That's how I discovered it, like, like years later, probably, like, three or four years later. Uh, and I was immediately in love with it when I saw it. And I think I was the right age then. I think this is maybe a movie for older kids, you know, maybe 10 and up. And I, I, I watch it over and over again. It's since become one of my favorite animated movies of all time. This movie ages like fine wine because I don't want to be like one of the, I don't know if I was like one of those cool kids who saw it in the theater, but I vividly remember getting the box set, uh, VHS box set because it came with a mini iron giant. Yeah. Uh, yeah so sure. I they, definitely they, they saw more, it that way. They put more effort into the uh, marketing for home video and that's where you get more merchandising and that kind of stuff. Um, so I didn't have it on home video, unfortunately. I just had to try to catch it on TV whenever they aired it. They actually would air it a lot around Thanksgiving. And that is why this movie, to me, also kind of seems like a Thanksgiving movie in that way. It does. I mean, it takes place in the fall, so it has like a fall feel to it. Um, but uh, ultimately, too, I think it wasn't the kind of animated film that was fashionable at the time this is in like 1999 so at the time disney was dominating 
animated films with their renaissance, and all animated movies that were successful were these fantasy films. And now you here you have a sci-fi animated movie that just again does not have the same appeal as to what people were going out to see. Uh, not not that I'm saying you should always make a movie that is whatever's popular at the time. You know, I'm more in favor of movies going against the grain. This movie, different. this movie would have risen, like a like people would have came out for this movie if it was marketed properly. Hopefully, that's the, there are two lessons I've got I got out of this movie. One is yes, marketing is a powerful tool, especially with a with a movie like this that is it the way it's told like i it made me understand brad bird like okay he loves retro this is like this is 50s yeah the incredibles is six even his mission impossible played into the retroness of uh the old show but the other lesson and the big lesson is make the movie you want to make and even if it fails or is considered a failure at the time if you made it like the best you can and the like you put everything you got into it. I think time, I think you will get your day in the sun. And uh, for one of our guests who gave uh, Sabrina, she gave, she's the man, a perfect 100%. And that was the first time I am going to follow suit. And yeah, this movie is flawless in its execution and is 100%. I, you, you saw what I was going to say. I was also going to give this a 100%. This is perfect to me as well. It's it's so tight, you know. It's like uh, barely like ninety minutes, I think, and that includes the credits. It's so the right it's a very time. tightly, yeah. a great, a very tightly told story, but um, you know, it doesn't feel rushed by any means. It's it's just um, a combination of just really great writing, uh, the voice acting too. Uh, I mean, like you know, Jennifer Aniston, um, Vin Diesel uh as as the iron giant harry connick jr and christopher mcdonald he was an excellent villain oh yes oh yeah uh kent mansley yeah he's a great great villain in this movie he does great work uh i have to say too this this giant this iron giant i fucking love this robot (laughs) so much he is like such a pure and beautiful character i I, like my heart goes out to this character and i have and this is i think i mentioned in another episode before that like you know i don't really cry a lot in movies um but i i think every time i watch iron giant in the superman scene at the end where he like you know gets blown up by the bomb spoiler alert i freaking cry during that sequence because the the payoff this movie pays off so freaking well and it's like seamless the way things come back and um that's again a testament to the writing and then the animation style too just like um it's it's just beautifully animated and this is like one of the you know this is when the anime the 3d animating uh field is starting to blow up but you have this just beautiful 2d animated movie uh that's just it's just perfect the way it is i hope they never make a sequel to it as much as i love everything about this movie and i love these characters i just want them to like leave it alone i hope you never see like iron giant 2 on hbo well i I think the the yeah true you might go to streaming but i think the box office uh result ended in no sequels but the way it ends is perfect Perfect. it doesn't need a sequel it just it it makes you smile it's glorious the ending is glorious uh but like i said we've seen 
you know, we, we've seen like other things being revived because again, we have these streaming services that cater to more like niche audiences. So like we were talking about Hocus Pocus and like HBO Max is doing like the witches or something again, you know, you're seeing like all these obscure old things being brought back just because that's now like kind of popular, but this leave this, leave this alone. It's far from perfect as it is. uh, I'm not talking about Iron Giant here, but, and it's far from the best movie, but I did, there's something to be said about the Iron Giant being in Ready Player One, and maybe like I, uh, I, that's what I mean by it's a like it's day in the sun, and and right. not Getting, only with it's... that movie, but people, it, but it's, I'm like, hey, it, it put a surprising smile on my face when I saw it in the trailer. I'm like, is that the Iron Giants? Yeah, no, same. I, I like I like that nod that this movie is getting finally some traction here in um, the zeitgeist, uh, and again, it's it's definitely got like now a cult following that's that's supporting this movie and you know count me as part of this cult following i'll be like a high priest of the cult of <laughs> no Iron right Giant. here uh, i will recruit people and you know uh do all sorts of things for this cult because it's just it's it's so great and it's just it's so pure too it's just it's it's so unassuming it's just an innocent pure great little family movie and uh you know it's it's just a shame that the studio didn't have any confidence in it. It's it's like they didn't know until they did test screenings. But even so, if you just saw it yourself as a movie executive, you're probably only thinking in dollars. But can you at least acknowledge just how well crafted it is? I, I don't know. They do consider it the worst marketing mistake in like film history. At least a bus- at like when I, it says that on the Wikipedia, uh, it's considered one of the worst marketing moves in like film uh and it, it's a it's a shame it's a shame it's an absolute shame and here's and here's like an infuriating quote from the president of warner brothers at the time he says in, in response to why this movie didn't uh make money he says people always say to me why don't you make smarter family movies the lesson is every time you do you get slaughtered i hate that quote and it's because of them it's not because of the movie being smart it's because you don't have any confidence in an audience wanting to see a smart film and that's why we get so surprised to see movies like this or Blade Runner 2049 coming from a big studio movies because they usually don't trust their audience to appreciate a more finely crafted and nuanced movie. Um, and, and, okay, yes, these movies did not make a lot of money, but it, they probably would have had a better shot if you had confidence in it and backed it up. This movie especially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, unfortunately, um, one tidbit. This movie was this uh, movie was a victim. Oh yeah, go ahead. One tidbit. I when watching this movie, and I haven't seen it in a while, but I did. I, I'm sure there there's a YouTube video or two of making the comparisons. But I did have to say, like, this movie has a lot in common, if not plot for plot, of How to Train Your Dragon. And I know how uh, this Iron Giant came first. But I'm watching and this going like, huh, this is How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, like the idea, oh, so? uh, a kid, a weird kid meeting a animal beast who like informing creature. that real, yeah, like creature and, you know, train, training them or becoming oh, friends. Teaching and them te- how to, it, te- it, yeah. If you, I, 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 last year I ended up watching like the trilogy of how to train your dragon. It's a very beautiful, fun trilogy. Uh, and I'm not going to like iron giant came first, but it did go it, like, Oh wow. They are. Very, very similar. And that's, yeah, my, I, okay. that's my tidbit for that, the day. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I think this movie, Iron Giant, is more often compared to E.T. 
because also you have the idea of, of course. Uh, you know, a boy befriending a creature from outer space, and then the government gets involved and, you know, tries to ruin it. I didn't even think about that. True. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously E.T. is the classic, and I don't want to, you know, point that out too much and, and try to make it seem like Iron Giant is being derivative or anything. Those movies have very different styles. They're tackling different themes, and they're both, you know, you, you can have, like, similar story elements between movies but that doesn't mean that one is necessarily copying the other not at all all these all the movies that we talked about from et iron giant and how to train your dragon they're all excellent movies uh yeah and they're all very they're all doing very original things yeah uh you know and they're all very smart movies too again you can have smart and you know how about that et and um how to train your dragon two very smart films that were very successful so you can have smart family films here people yes uh you just got to uh just you know got to believe in them and you know back them up if you're the big studio you know they're counting on you to uh set them up for success i would say that the iron giant is a victim a victim of negligent parenting from its warner brothers studio so you know call in call in law and order svu get detective benson here because we have uh, a, a heinous crime on our hands here done to the iron giant so they have a chance now uh through again hbo max keep bringing that up it's where iron giant is streaming and hopefully they will see that that movie is played a lot there and they can be reminded of their 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 failure to support what could have been uh, a huge success for them at the time but it will endure so uh that that is our our box office mysteries solved uh we're like the sherlock holmes and watson of box office mysteries of movies we're the sherlock holmes and watson of movies basically i was gonna say we're like the the hardy boys but <laughs> to the hardy boys of hollywood they, they take us on the case. That's a good name. What happened to this movie? Well, let's find out. That's a good Getting name a for us, the Hardy Boys of Hollywood. <laughs> I am wearing a sweater vest, so that... <laughs> oh, okay, I need to get me one. Again, a raging clue. So, uh, you know, that that concludes probably our, our season for the year, but we're going to be back soon. Yes, yeah, we Thankfully, will. with this remote recording, we have more freedom to... Record whenever we want. And there's plenty of movies uh, that are being divided every day. Oh, I know, I know. In fact, I have I have a lot of I have a big list here of movies to talk about for our, our future season. So, you know, not to worry. We have we have plenty of discussions ahead. So, uh, thank you everyone for listening. As always, coming and supporting our podcast, and uh, you know, all of our guests for coming on and sharing their great opinions. We've had a lot of fun recording this year, and uh, we are excited to come back next year. But and until then, happy holidays uh, and have a happy new year as well. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, see you guys again uh, in the next year. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Bye.